0: to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. we continue our series on answering tough questions with this question, how can Christians be affected by demons? Or you may have seen, I think it was in the bulletin, how can Christians be afflicted by demons? And uh, I had one, uh, one title and it got put in the bulletin the other way. I said, I think that's a better way and I forgot to change. it. Anyway, either way, how can Christians be affected or afflicted by demons, and a question sometimes people wrestle with can Christians be demon possessed? And what does that mean? We're going to dig all into that tonight. And I can promise you that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if there's any fears you might have, uh, those should be laid to rest. And you should have confidence to know that you can face this world and the spiritual forces that are in it and have victory in Jesus Christ. But we also need to be warned that there are spiritual forces out there that can impact our lives uh, in ways we don't want them to. So that's what we're going to kind of dig into tonight, all right? So we're talking about demons, and this is a big topic, and we can't talk about all the little details about it. So we're going to try to stick to the topic but deal with some other things along the way. But what are demons? What is your understanding of what demons are or where they came from or that kind of thing? What what did you say, Clayton? All right. Fallen angels. All right. What else can you tell me about demons? What did you say, Theo? They're satanic. Yes. And Satan is the leader of these fallen angels, these demons. They're under the authority of Satan. Okay. They're also called evil spirits or unclean spirits. I'm going to quote a couple of times a guy by the name of Wayne Grudem who's a great Bible scholar and a professor at uh, Grand Canyon Bible uh, College, and he's written a lot of books. uh, Specifically, he's well-known for his book on systematic theology. But he said this, Demons are evil angels who sinned against God and who now continually work evil in the world. They oppose and try to destroy every work of God, yet they are limited by God's control and they have limited power. We see a lot about demons, especially in... I'm sorry, we see more about demons in the Gospels because of Jesus coming to establish the kingdom of God and they tried to oppose in every way. And Jesus had full authority over all the demons and he cast out a lot of demons and healed people that were afflicted with demons and all that kind of stuff. We don't see very much beyond that into the New Testament. We'll talk about why tonight. But as we go into the Old Testament, there's not that much mentioned about demons... But they're there because the few things that the Old Testament says about demons says very specifically that it's the demons that were behind all of the false gods and the idol worship. Okay? that It was those evil spirits that were behind all the idols and false gods that were worshipped by the nations around God's people. And unfortunately by God's people themselves when they gave themselves over to that. But we're going to focus primarily on the New Testament. Now let me just say this. At the very beginning, Um, some people overestimate demonic activity and power. They see a devil everywhere, all right? And they give the devil a lot more authority and power than he really has. Now, please understand, I'll be very clear, the devil and his his, uh, associates have a whole lot more power than we have on our own, okay? But we've got Jesus, all right? So some people... Overestimate the devil, demons, spiritual authorities, but some people underestimate them too. You know, especially in our culture, it's like the demonic, it's like, oh, that's something for a horror movie. You know, it's not real, you know, but it is good about giving us a good scare or a good thrill or whatever. Or even among Christians, I think sometimes we, uh, because I think Satan works in a more understated way in our culture today, Um, We don't realize how much spiritual influence there is that goes on in our culture and even in our lives. And I've been asked that question. I did not even have this in my notes. You know, why do we not see in our culture instances of demon possession with the kind of bizarre stuff that you might see throughout history or in the Bible or in other countries? You go to other countries, especially where they worship Uh, idols and false gods and demons. There's a lot more of that kind of stuff. And I would say I think Satan's just as busy and just as active in our culture. He just knows that he can be a lot more effective by being very understated and kind of fly under the radar. All right? That being said, though, uh, there still is a lot of demonic and spiritual activity even in our own culture. And so that's why we want to talk about this tonight. First of all, I've got this broken down into a number of topics and or questions on your note sheet. And the first one is this Biblical descriptions of demonic influence on people. Biblical descriptions of demonic influence on people. And we're just kind of going to go through this relatively quick. But how does the Bible, talking is primarily about the Gospels and Jesus' interaction with demons, how does it describe these demons and what they do and how they do it and all that kind of stuff? And the very first one is the one that is most famous, the most well-known, and that is talking about people being demon-possessed. Demon-possessed. I've given at least one scripture, sometimes two for each of these. We're not necessarily going to read them. But Matthew 8.28 talks about these men that were demon-possessed. And that's the way many translations translate the word that is used there. I I particularly do not care for the term. There's nothing wrong with it, so don't think I'm a heretic or something. demon-possessed, because I think possessed gives the wrong idea. When you think of something that is possessed... What does that indicate? Ownership. Ownership Alright? Ownership and uh, full control. Alright? And that's one of the reasons why I kind of struggle with that particular word. Um, because in most cases of demon possession in the New Testament, not all, it's not full domination, full control in the sense of full ownership. In fact, the word that is used there does not have any kind of connotation or any kind of definition for ownership or control. I mean ownership, not the control part. Because demons can and do have various levels of control over the people that they're involved with. All right? Um, How much control does a demon have over someone who is, quote, demon-possessed? What? What? Significant in every case? Many cases, not every. Many case, but not every. And see, that's the whole thing. There's a whole spectrum. There's a whole range. you got people in the Bible who seem to be totally and completely overwhelmed by the presence of these demons to where they don't have hardly any control over themselves at all. And the greatest example of that is the, the, the demoniac, the Gadarenes or Gerasenes. There's a couple of different ways to look at that. And there's actually two of them. Uh, one gospel mentions that there's two. Another one mentions, focuses just on one, the one Jesus mainly interacted with. But that guy, man, is crazy. You know, that's the guy that lived in the tombs, ran around naked, uh, broke out of all the bonds that the people put on him and hurt himself and probably the, the greatest example of strong demon possession in the New Testament. But you have others that the demons affect the people in various ways, but it's not near as controlling and it's not near as domineering. Now, I would be quick to say I don't care how little or how much, you definitely don't want to be involved with a demon, all right? But there is a whole range or a whole spectrum. Because of that, uh, in the last several years, you've seen where people use um, terms like uh, uh, demonized rather than demon possession, okay? Okay because it means that they've been influenced in some way, shape, or form by a demon, but not in the sense that they are possessed, like they are owned by the demon. Um, there's no, not really anything in the concept like that, that, that the demons or Satan own certain people. But again, they can be very powerful, powerfully involved with people. The second one, um, and this is actually the same word, but it's translated different in certain circumstances, and that is oppressed with demons, oppressed with demons. Uh, Mark, uh, Matthew 4:24. it talks about a person or persons who were, I think that's the passage where it talks about just a general description of how Jesus healed a lot of people of a lot of different diseases, and he um, helped people who were oppressed by demons, okay? Um, number three on there, there's another way it's put sometimes, is that there is a person with an unclean spirit, with an unclean spirit. That's mentioned in Mark 1, and Mark 5, 2. People are also described as, number four, having a demon. Kind of vague, but that's the way it's worded in the original. They have a demon. What does that mean? Does it mean the demon's inside them? It's kind of accompanying them? There's no real clear understanding there. But there's a demon that is associated with that person having an impact and having an influence on their life. You see that in Luke 8, 27. Again, I've given you only one or two scriptures um, where that's translated that way, but there are a number of them. And then you've got a place where there's kind of several of them combined together. Number five, a person who had the spirit of an unclean demon. Luke 4.33. Um, Luke 6.18 talks more about the effect of it. It talks about people being troubled with unclean spirits. Those are all more or less descriptions of the people and kind of the relationship that the demons had with them, but yet we see in uh, number 7 there, it talks about demons that come out of people, um, Luke 4.41. So that lets you know that at least in some cases, these people had demons inside them some way, shape, or form. All right, And then the next one, what we're most familiar with, would seem to indicate the same thing, number 8, that demons are cast out of people. Matthew 12, 27, and a lot of other places, Jesus was constantly casting out demons. And he gave his disciples authority to cast out demons, which indicates that they are in and need to come out. All right? But because of this whole thing of the uh, idea of possession being like massive, full control or ownership, but yet some of the accounts of demonic work doesn't seem to be that... That's significant, not that it's not significant, that some people have tried to make a differentiation. I think it's a good one between demon possession and demon oppression. Okay? And and most people kind of uh, divide that up by demon possession would be if there's a demon at work from within a person, whereas demon oppression would be more of demonic work from outside of a person toward them or onto them or against them. All right? Now... Just thinking about the stories of the Bible. What are some of the signs or manifestations of demonic influence? I know you keep looking at your note sheet. It's going to be a little while before we take any more notes, okay? But what are some of the signs we see in Scripture of demonic influence in a person's life? Just, just one at a time. Don't give me a hold of this, Carl. Saul. What? Saul. Okay, well, he's an example of a spirit, and that's, we're not going to dig deeply, but that's, that says specifically that God sent a spirit to trouble him. Yeah, from time to time. All right. So he became very troubled emotionally, psychologically. All right. It wasn't so much a physical thing as it was an emotional and psychological thing. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, there's the story of the servant girl in Acts who was demon possessed and harassing, and she had knowledge that she shouldn't have had, that was given to her by the demon. Okay. All right. Does that mean that demons know all things? No. But they can see as well as they got. we can. If they see something, they can tell somebody that didn't see it, you know. So go ahead, Melba. Yeah, they know what's going to happen to them. Yes, that's true. You know, and I'll be honest with you. I think the devil and the demons probably know the Bible a whole lot better than we do too. They've had a lot longer to get to know it. But that's why it says that if you just happen to believe that Jesus is real and that Jesus is God and all that kind of stuff, but you don't put your trust in him, you don't believe any more than a demon does. James says that. The demons believe that and they tremble. That's why the faith aspect, the repentance aspect is so important uh, for us as, as human beings and as believers. What are some other manifestations of demonic influence that we see in Scripture? Norris. Yes, the father who brought his son, that the demon that he was afflicted with would throw him into the fire, would give him convulsions, seemed to be a d- description of epilepsy. In fact, the word for epilepsy is actually used in the New Testament a couple of different times. So does that mean that every person that has epilepsy has a demon? No. And I know you weren't saying that, Norris. I was just throwing that out as an extra question. Okay. And Let me bring you out a very, very important part, a uh, point here, and that is that we see in Scripture that the demons would often cause some kind of physical illness, disease, or handicap. But that doesn't mean that every physical disease or handicap is caused by a demon. Okay, What are some other diseases or handicaps that we see that people had um, besides convulsions or epileptic uh, seizures? <inaudible> Extra strength. Yeah, again, the, the, the one demoniac in the Gadarenes. Yeah. How about those that were blind and mute and deaf? Those are mentioned several times. Um, but what's really, really interesting is that Jesus knew the difference. You know, and the Gospels mention that, that Jesus would cast out demons that had caused deafness or muteness or blindness. But it also states very specifically in other cases, he didn't cast a demon out. He just healed them because it wasn't demonically caused. It was just physical. What did you say? The one with the issue of blood. It could have been demonically inspired. How about the woman that was bent over for 18 years? That mentions specifically it was caused by a satanic influence in her life. So we see some physical illness and or handicaps, but not all. Um, We see some mental disorders and personality changes, uh, sometimes leading to self-harm, isolation, nakedness, and or antisocial behavior. Y'all are looking at your notes sheet. We're not taking notes right now. I couldn't put this all on there, okay? So anyway, again, the demoniac um, that we have that story. Excessive strength. Um, motivation to do evil. Can you think of somebody in the Bible that says that the devil had motivated them to do evil? David? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of Judas, though, because it says specifically, yeah. There is an aspect of that in, in one of the stories of David. Yes, okay? The ability to know things beyond their knowing. That was mentioned with the slave girl. Um, one thing that's mentioned, we don't think about it this often, but uh, Paul writes about this a lot um, in Corinthians and Timothy and, and John wrote about it too, is belief in and teaching of false doctrine, especially if it concerns Jesus Christ, who he is and what he came to do. Much of that is inspired by demons. Okay, Paul and John both talk about that. I meant to put that on your note sheet. If you want those scriptures, I can give them to you. It's basically 2 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 4, and 1 John 4. Talk specifically about these false teachers, and it was demonically inspired, okay? And as I mentioned, Jesus could distinguish between the conditions. We're not going to talk so much today about, you know, what do we do if we come across somebody who we think might have um, demonic influence in their life? But the only way we can distinguish is to pray for discernment. But the good news is is we can pray that God will intervene. And whether it's demonically inspired or not, God will respond to our prayers. Um, again, we, we can't cover this topic. And also, what do we do if God leads us to somebody that's involved with demons? That would be a whole other topic. Here's the big question. Note, next thing on your note sheet. Now we'll take some notes, okay? Can a Christian be, quote, demon-possessed? How many of you would say yes? How many would say no? Okay? And you would find that there are Bible scholars on both sides of that issue, but it all comes down to your definition of demon possession. It's another reason I don't really care for that term, okay? Because there's so much behind that, all right? Here's the thing. I think it's pretty clear from Scripture, no matter what you define, how you define it, On your note sheet, I have this, a demon cannot inhabit or take full control of a Christian. A demon cannot inhabit or take full control of a Christian. That is my understanding of what Scripture tells us. And I give you three specific reasons here. There may be others of why I believe that a demon cannot inhabit or take full control of a Christian. Number one, there are no instructions in Scripture to cast a demon out of a believer. Not only no instructions, but no examples, no stories about a believer who had a demon that had to be cast out of them. All right? In fact, I don't believe you're you're not going to find any story that talks about any kind of believer being possessed by a demon. All right? We see a lot of instruction that we're going to get to you tonight where believers are encouraged and called to resist the devil, but not to cast him out. And I believe that's because demons cannot be inhabited or taken full control of. I mean, Christians by a demon, all right? The second thing, theologically speaking, Christians have been delivered from the enemy. Just by virtue of the fact they put their trust in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience the way paul works is this is the way you used to be but you're not that way anymore all right it makes it even clearer in colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 god has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins all right He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. That seems to indicate that there would be no room for a demon to have full control or a place of inhabitation within a believer. The third one is that Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verses 9 to 11 says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Uh, let me read these other two scriptures. I've got a couple of comments to go along with that. First Corinthians 6 Verses 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And then 1 John 4, 4, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now in my mind, in my opinion, that last verse is the most powerful. Because the other two, it talks about how when we're believers, the Spirit of Christ dwells within us. And the argument is made kind of from logic that if the holy spirit dwells within you that a demonic presence can't dwell within you too because they can't exist in the same place the only problem with that argument does the holy spirit exist in the same place as demons do here in the world yeah cuz the holy spirit's god and he's everywhere so some would argue I wouldn't but some would argue that just like the holy spirit is everywhere even when demons are in the world that the holy spirit can be in you even and there can be a demon but but i just don't see that like i said the 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 third scripture is the one to me is the most powerful says he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world like there's two different realms they don't overlap okay yes the holy spirit's everywhere even where demons are but when he's in you okay as we going back to what Paul said, you know, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We don't follow the prince of the power of the air anymore. And so to me, all that put together indicates that there would not be a demon that would inhabit or fully control a Christian. Now, there's a caveat, and we'll get to that in just a moment. What were you going to say, Carlton? Yeah, the fact that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, not just some place where the Holy Spirit is. That's a whole other nuance that makes a big difference. Yes, Norris. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point, too. I wanted to bring that in here, but I only had so much room. But <laughs> let me just repeat that real quickly for the, for the recording. Okay, Norris was telling us about the parable Jesus told that is a, a teaching parable uh, after casting demons out of someone. And he said basically that the spirit would leave. And that person then becomes like a house that is swept and cleaned up. But if nothing takes its place... That spirit can come back and bring even more with it, and the person's condition is worse than it was before. And uh, that's a very good point because that's pointing to the fact that we need to have the Holy Spirit within us. And it seems to indicate that if there is some presence there from God, that that spirit would not be able to get a foothold. Okay? And um, so that's a very, very good point, Norris. Where's that found, Norris? I'm sure you got it memorized. I'm just just pulling your leg. I don't know either. It's one of Jesus' parables. We can look that up later. Okay? All right, so here's the thing. I made the statement. I believe with all my heart. A demon cannot inhabit or take full control of a Christian. However, Christians can experience various levels and types of demonic influence. Okay? So we don't want to become too overconfident, saying, the devil can't touch me, which is true. But if we get arrogant about it and we don't do our part, he can. Okay? Um, Just because we if you're in the same camp I am, believe that a demon cannot possess in the sense of own and fully control a Christian does not mean that we are not affected by them because we are. Okay? The next section we have here is the impact of demonic forces on Christians. The impact of demonic forces on Christians. The first one is a warning. We kind of touched on this already. Not all evil is from Satan and demons, but some is. Not all evil is from Satan and demons, but some is. Now, all evil is a result of sin, and Satan and demons are involved in that. But what I'm talking about is specifically, if you see something bad in your life or in somebody else's life, there can be spiritual forces at work there specifically. I think in general, they always are at work to bring about bad and evil. But it can be specifically, or it may not be. Just like we said before, some sicknesses can be caused by demonic forces, but many are not. And there's probably a lot that are both, that they're physical, but they can be aggravated by spiritual forces. What were you going to say, Dorothy? Some are. Some are. Yes, ma'am, they are. Don't deny that at all. So, you've got the sicknesses caused by spiritual causes versus only physical. And uh, how many of you remember that old saying from a long time ago, the devil made me do it? <laughs> Flip Wilson, that's right. The devil made me do it. Giving became very popular. But, you know, that became not only a funny, popular saying, but it became a very popular philosophy in the sense of people could do stuff and it's like, well, what's wasn't my fault. The devil made me do it. And they're being serious, you know. Um, don't use it as an excuse. The devil made me do it, all right, especially if you're a believer. You know, whatever influence a demonic force might have in our lives uh, it's only there because we allow it to some degree. We'll, we'll dig more deeply into that in just a moment. And if we're going to use that excuse, we have allowed a demonic influence to influence us to do something wrong. We're still responsible, okay? Um, I put this down. Don't avoid your responsibility to obey God by blaming your attitudes or actions on the demonic, thinking that just prayer and or, quote, deliverance is your solution. In other words... If you're having a problem with one of your attitudes, you're having a problem with your mouth, you're having a problem with a habit in your life, God has given us solutions to that. Prayer is an important part of that. If demonic forces are involved and aggravating in that, then, you know, prayer for deliverance from that is a part of that too. But that does not eliminate our responsibility to do the right thing. We can't say, well, I couldn't help myself. You know, it was the devil, it was a demon, it was whatever. I found this very interesting, this quote. There is no instruction to cast out a demon of anger, adultery, incest, disunity, or whatever. But there's plenty of instructions to obey God's will in each of these areas. Now, that is not to say there cannot be any demonic influences that aggravate those kind of things, our anger or tendencies toward adultery or immorality or any of that kind of stuff but basically the New Testament indicates that we are responsible for our attitudes we are responsible for our words we are responsible for our actions okay spiritual forces can be at play to act, to, to bring more complication to it but we're responsible to obey God okay and we need his help to do that obviously. All right so not all evil is from Satan and demons but some is number two. All Christians will experience spiritual attacks by demonic forces. You know, we can never feel like, well, I'm going, get, I'm going to finally get to that point where I'm so spiritual that I will never have to worry about spiritual attacks. I'll never have to worry about demonic influences in my life or whatever. That's not going to happen until we leave this world, okay? All Christians will experience spiritual attacks by demonic forces, but that doesn't mean they need to be scary. It doesn't mean they need to be overwhelming, and it doesn't mean they need to mean that I better be... Extra, extra careful, I'm going to be totally and completely conquered and defeated. Because God's given us what we need. Okay? But that's what we mean by spiritual warfare. Every believer deals with spiritual warfare. All right? I'm thankful, though, that God works with us at our maturity level. He's not going to let us face more than we can handle with his help. Now, he'll let us face more than we can handle by ourselves... But with this help, and I think he – I've seen over and over in my own life, and I've seen it in other people's lives to where I can't think of very many situations where somebody is like a brand-new Christian, and they're faced with something that's just so totally overwhelmed that it's like, I don't know what to do, and I'm going to fall flat on my face or whatever. God seems to take us through stages based on our level of maturity. Did uh, Bert, Did you have your hand up where you going to say something? No? Okay. You're scratching your head. Okay. <laughs> You've done that before. Uh, okay, Norris hmm That's right. That's a very important aspect of the Holy Spirit's role within our lives. But if we ignore the Holy Spirit or don't take advantage of his leading and his guiding and of his power, and we'll get to that when we get down to a further topic of how... Do these uh, spirits have influence over Christians, okay? But let me read the scriptures here for this point. All Christians will experience spiritual attacks by demonic forces. Ephesians 6.12, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He doesn't say that we might, you know, we will, all right? 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have an enemy that's seeking to cause us problems. You know, I didn't put it on here. John 10.10, 10. Uh, Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that certainly applies to the enemy. Can you think of any examples of believers in Scripture that it's mentioned specifically that they were attacked spiritually by demonic forces? Job. Job. Yeah, it helps that I have Job written down there, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, Job two seven, And it was a, it, with God's permission. Can you think of any other examples of people who experienced a spiritual attack and an influence in their life? Chris. Okay, Jesus had the enemy come against him, but he totally and completely... Um, held that back and rejected it. I'm talking about people who were influenced and actually kind of gave into it. But that's a great example, Chris. Samson? Samson? Yeah, it doesn't mention that specifically, but just look at his lifestyle. I guarantee you there are a lot of spiritual forces at work there. How about Paul with his thorn in the flesh? 2 Corinthians 12.7, it says specifically that this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, Could have been a physical thing. That's what it seems most likely to have been, although we don't know for sure. But he said specifically that it was something sent from Satan. Okay? All right? And then we have the story we've already mentioned in Luke 13, verses 10 to 17. This is before the cross, but it talks about the lady who was the daughter of Abraham, which seems to indicate she was a faithful believer in God that Satan had bound for 18 years. All right? So she had had... A spiritual attack that actually affected her physical condition for 18 years until Jesus set her free. All right? All right. Um, number three. Now, that's talking primarily about the fact that you can be living for God 100%, never doing anything wrong, which doesn't ever happen, but you know, really living for God, and you're going to face spiritual attack. But the scary part, not literally, but the thing we need to be aware of is number three. Apart from spiritual warfare, Christians can open themselves up to demonic influence if they're not careful. And I would say that these are things that God does not want. Not that God wants the other ones, but that can be totally and completely avoided. But because believers are not doing what they're supposed to, they can end up having spiritual forces having a negative evil spiritual forces having an influence in their life can you think of any examples i got two of them don't look up the scriptures try to think of it without looking at the scriptures can you think of any examples of people who are presented as believers or on the good side whatever that uh allow satan to get in and do something and they whatever chris okay that's a contemporary example Yeah. Certain sins, you mentioned pornography in particular, can be very much influenced by the presence of spiritual forces. But I'm talking about examples in the Bible at this particular moment. But that's a great example, Chris, of something in our society and something in our life that is a sin that can probably be aggravated and probably is by spiritual forces. Yes. Lots of hands here. Kingsley. Ananias. Ananias Ananias and Sapphira. There's a couple of Ananiases, but Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Some would say, well, they weren't really believers. Well, the Bible doesn't say they weren't believers. Maybe they were, maybe they they were fake, and they were part of the church. But the church was collecting for people that were in need. They sold some property. They brought it, and they kept some back for themselves, which they had every right to do. The problem wasn't that they kept some for themselves. It's because they lied about it, so people think they're extra spiritual. Here's all the money we got. And... Peter said, Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. So they had opened themselves up to a spiritual influence that caused them to sin, and it cost them their lives. Joan. Peter, that's the other example. Matthew 16, when Jesus is telling his disciples, you know, I'm going to be betrayed, going to go to Jerusalem, die, raise again, all of And Peter says, no way, Lord, that'll never happen to you. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. That's not proof that a Christian can be demon-possessed. That's not trying to say that Peter was demon-possessed. It was just saying that he was speaking what Satan wanted him to say. So, Amanda. I'm sorry, what? Well, Adam and Eve is a good example of being face-to-face with Satan and giving in. Yeah, yeah, that would be. That would be. Saul. Yeah, that's, yeah, Saul, you know... He was a good king, but then he disobeyed God. And because it opened up to demon, and he allowed hatred and jealousy. Good example of sins in our lives that aren't dealt with. Allows spiritual forces to come in. So Saul would be a great example too. So here's an interesting question. How much influence can demonic forces have on or in a believer? When I say in, I don't mean to possess them, but how much influence It depends, right? It could be a lot, a little. And I love this quote. I told you I was going to quote a couple times by Wayne Gruden, Gruden. And his point, before I read the quote, is basically, this is not God's will, but it happens. Just like it's not God's will for Christians to sin, but it happens. Why do Christians still sin? Because they give in to it. Sometimes they coddle it. Okay, And he compares the influence of evil spiritual forces to that. Let me read this quote. It says, before answering this question, we should note that it is similar to a question about sin. How much can a genuine Christian let his or her life be dominated by sin and still be a born-again Christian? I mean, there isn't a cutoff point, right? We all wrestle. He says, we're simply asking how abnormal a Christian's life can become especially if that person does not know about or make use of the weapons of spiritual warfare that are available to Christians, or they persist in some kinds of sin that give entrance to demonic activity and is outside the reach of any ministry that's accustomed to giving spiritual help against demonic attack. It would seem that in such cases, the degree of demonic attack or influence in a Christian's life could be quite strong. So what he's saying here is that God wouldn't want any of us as believers to be overwhelmed or so influenced by demonic spiritual forces that we are involved in a lot of sin, that we say and do things that we shouldn't be doing. But if we're not doing the right things, okay, if we're not taking advantage of the resources God gives to us, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the um, uh, spiritual armor that we have, the authority we have in Christ, whether because we don't know about it, we haven't learned about it, or because we just refuse to apply ourselves to it, we could find ourselves in a situation where um, demonic forces could have quite a bit of influence on us, All right, even as believers. Now, we've already kind of covered this a little bit, these next two topics, but how do demons gain influence over a Christian? How would demons or uh, the evil spiritual influences, how do they gain influence over a Christian? Now, we're talking about a real true Christian, not somebody who just claims to be one or whatever. How could that possibly happen? Any thoughts? What, uh, All right. Talking about how when we're sinning, it's because we're drawn away by our own lust. And so we give into that, right? Yeah. What are some other ways in which um, we open ourselves up to uh, demonic or evil spiritual influences in our life? Okay, there are certain areas of our life that we may be more susceptible, and you would say because of our history. That can be from our own personal history because of sin we were involved in before we were Christian. It can have to do with the family history, which is going to get into the topic we're going to talk about next week with the generational curse thing, or it could have to do with um, something else that was in my mind and it just left. But if we're not extra aware of those areas where we're more vulnerable and such— We need need to be aware and we need to do something about it, which we're going to get to in a minute. Yeah, Chris. So believing the lies of the enemy. And that's how it all started out in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? Yes, Janet. Yes, occultic practices. Yeah, yeah. Let me give you the four that I have here. And there may be others, but um, how can demons gain influence over us? Number one, not properly dealing with our sin not properly dealing with our sin. And there's a specific one that's mentioned in the New Testament, but I think it applies to more than just this one. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 to 27, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give, give no opportunity to the devil. Now, first of all, he says, be angry and do not sin, which means that it's okay to be angry as long as you... Are not angry about the wrong things, or you're not expressing it in the wrong way, or whatever. Okay, but obviously there's a lot of anger that is sinful, and what he's saying here is, you get that sinful anger going on, you better deal with it. I mean, that's the whole point about don't let the go down, you know, the sun go down in your wrath. Get that dealt with because he seems to indicate that can open up a door for the enemy to get a foothold in your life, and if that's true for. Anger is probably true of a lot of other sins in our lives too. You know, the one Chris mentioned earlier, pornography, you know, maybe every sin. I don't know. If we don't deal with those things that we know are sin as quickly as we can, we harbor them, we excuse them, we whatever, that gives a place of a foothold for our enemy, okay? All right. Number two, how can demons gain influence if we don't engage in spiritual warfare, If we aren't willing to fight, now, now this is not to excuse anything, but, you know, how many of you uh, maybe were raised in a home where your parents said, listen, if there's a fight at school, don't you start it. But if somebody hits you, defend yourself or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. God doesn't call us to go out and start fights, although we need to attack those spiritual strongholds. That's a whole different thing. But when the enemy comes after you, you need to defend yourself. And if you don't defend yourself, just like when that bully came after you, maybe. I didn't ever have it that happen to me, thank God. But if a bully, and we won't ask for any testimonies, but if a bully comes after you, you choose not to defend yourself or just stand there and take it, you're going to get hurt. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. If the enemy starts attacking you, if you don't do what you can and should do, you're going to get hurt. All right? Number three is related by not wearing our spiritual armor. And we are going to read that passage in just a little bit. In fact, pretty quick because we're almost done. Almost out of time. So not wearing our spiritual armor. And then number four is what Janet mentioned, involvement with occultic practices and items. Okay, we don't need to be playing around with occultic stuff. Okay? Yes, Amanda? Well, doesn't God protect us in this world when we're the whole... Yeah, God will protect us, but we don't need to get involved in it. You know, if we're around people that are involved in that kind of stuff and they invite us to be involved, I say, no, I'm not going to do that. All right? All right. So we got to wrap this up. Last question How can we protect ourselves from demonic influence? Since we're running out of time, I'll just give them to you, but they're basically just the opposite. <clears throat> of how do demons gain influence over Christians. Let me give them to you real quick. How can we protect ourselves from demonic influence? Number one, be watchful of the enemy's influence. Be aware. You have an enemy. He's coming after you. First Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. I read that before, but I stopped there. But the next part says... Oh, no. I'm sorry. Seeking someone to devour. There's more to it that I'll read later. Okay? Second one, submit to God in surrender and obedience. Submit to God in surrender and obedience. James 4, 7 says something similar to Peter, but he gives us a little bit more information. He said, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he might flee from you. He will flee from you. Okay? Okay? But it's not just the resisting the devil, as important as that is. You've got to submit to God. What does submitting to God mean? It's like, God, you're in control. What you want, I'm going to do. And we're going to walk in obedience. Okay? We commit ourselves to God, to submit to him and surrender and obedience, and then we resist the devil. So that leads us to number three. Resist the devil. Just quoted that. You submit yourself to God, but then you resist the devil, and he will flee. And then... Um, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, I read the first part before, and I'm going to read the whole thing. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's where I stopped before, but it goes on to say, resist him, firm in your faith. Number four, repent of known sin immediately. Don't coddle sin. Don't excuse it. Don't make a place for it. None of us are probably going to make it to heaven, never ever sinning again in our lives. Okay, God gives us the power to do that, but we're still fallen. But when you sin, deal with it as quickly as possible. That's a whole topic of how do we deal with sin, how do we avoid sin, but we've got to do that. And then number five, put on your spiritual armor. Put on your spiritual armor. Let me read that to you. They're going to read one other scripture, and then we're going to be done. But Ephesians chapter six, verses ten to eighteen. We already read verse 12, but let's read it in context, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's in God, okay? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And that's a whole nother study. What is the armor of God? How do we put it on? We've studied that before. we probably studied it again. But that's what we need to do. So if we do that, we will stand firm. There's nothing we need to be afraid of if we're doing our part. But I want to wrap it up with this promise, and then we're going to close. Romans 8, verses 38 to 39. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are evil spiritual forces in this world. As a believer, I believe with all my heart, they cannot possess us and fully control us but they can have a tremendous influence on us, especially if we don't do what we should do to keep that from happening. But God has given us every promise and every resource to have victory. It'll be a battle, but to give us victory. So we need to take advantage of that. Father God, we thank you for this time that we've had to look at your word with this particular question. And God, we thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit within our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you give us the resources along with your presence to walk in victory. Father, we pray that you would help us, help us to be fully submitted, surrender to you, help us to walk in obedience, and when we mess up, that we're going to fess up and get it right with you. Help us to stand against the enemy and not cooperate or coddle or excuse, Lord God, sin in our lives. And Father, we thank you that you're actively at work in our lives. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.